Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Rick. God bless you. You can be seated. And I am so thrilled to see you out here this morning. And what a great day this is to be in the presence of the Lord. You know, this week I have spent some time just thinking through all of the stories and the narratives of the Bible about, thank you, about faith in a crisis. And it's just been amazing to me to kind of think through those things and those great stories of the Bible. Last week, we looked at keeping faith in a COVID world. And today, I'd like to talk to you about growing faith in a COVID world, how our faith in God can increase and grow. One time, the disciples, they had saw Jesus and his miracles. They saw how Jesus loved people and how he cared for them in such amazing ways that were so contrary to the way the religious people of their day would do. He actually loved people wherever they were at and, and ministered to them. He touched the untouchable. He forgave, quote, the unforgivable. He loved people like me. He loved people like you. And so they were so moved by Jesus' life, they said to Jesus, increase our faith. And the Lord gave some wonderful instructions there, but as I thought about those stories of faith, I just kind of went all the way back through the Bible. And I don't know if you've ever been like me, but have you ever wished that God would have just went ahead and sent Jesus right after Genesis chapter 3? I mean, after the creation, after Adam and Eve had sinned, after the story of the horrible story of Cain and Abel, how Cain slew his brother. And as I thought through those stories, I still find myself, Lord, it would have been so wonderful if you'd have just went ahead and sent Jesus then and spared the world all the trial. But it's how we minimize sin. It's how we minimize the effect of sin upon our lives. We live in a world, this is a fascinating time to live in. I mean, everything is just so instant. I remember when it was cool to be able to order a pizza and it be brought to your door. Now you can order a full three-course meal that's delivered to your door within minutes, and you don't even have to cook, or the only dishes you have to do is what you have to throw into the trash can. And friends, that's my kind of kitchen cleanup right there, you know? But we live in a world of instant everything. I've been going to the grocery store for Becky, and I was checking out, and I have to tell you, the one thing I'm really looking forward to the COVID world being over with is that I don't have to go to the grocery store anymore, ever again, period. But somebody had a just a buggy full of microwave meals, and I asked about their microwave meals through the mask, and they said, I hate to cook. And I said, well, do you know how to cook? And they said, no, not really. That's the reason I buy all of these meals. But we live in a microwave world, a world of Burger King drive throughs and Starbucks drive throughs and maybe sometimes we wish that God was like Burger King or Starbucks or that you could just instantly put a message through on your phone and get what you wanted. But the story of our salvation, the story of redemption is not anything like that. As you think through the redemptive story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about God's love for this world. It's all about God's redemption of this world. And one of the things that you find in the heroes of the Bible Every single one of them, they go through a crisis. I mean, Noah goes through a crisis. The world is going to be destroyed by a flood, and you can find that story universally. You know, I've traveled around the world, and every culture I go into, I ask about that particular story because it's one more indication of the truth and the authenticity of the Bible. 
And this week, I was looking at some things about the story of Abraham, who had his share of crises and how he's known as the father of faith. And, and yes, in Ur of Chaldees, it was the economic center of the world where Abraham was from when God spoke to him to leave. But in the excavations of Ur in modern-day Iraq, they found the stories of the flood. And so you have all of these stories, and then there's this one big crisis in the world where the languages are, are, are confused, and people are scattered, and people are socially distanced culturally, and I don't think we've ever completely overcome that. It doesn't matter about race. It's just even in cultures where you same, share maybe the same Oriental culture, or you share the same uh, Hispanic culture, if you share the same uh, Latin culture, or the European culture, there's still all of these differences. When Becky and I were working in South America, I can remember how the Argentines would describe themselves differently as the Paraguayans or the Brazilians and look down upon them. And when we were in Brazil, I can remember how the Portuguese-speaking Brazilians would look down upon the Argentines. And it just went through that, like that, through all of Latin America. It is true in Europe. It's true in Africa. We have this social distancing that has taken place since the Tower of Babel. And I don't know that we've ever fully overcome that, but the potential to overcome that is found in the body of Christ, where all of us will one day be gathered before the Lord, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, and that's going to be wonderful. However, I found as I've traveled that it doesn't matter what culture that I'm in, but when I am with people of faith, whether we speak the same language, whether we're the same color, whether we have the same education, Everyone knows that Jesus Christ is Lord and there is an instant love and a bond there. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? I mean, that to me is so fascinating about the power of the gospel. But if you fast forward through the Bible and you think of the story of Ruth, or you think of the story of Solomon, or Uzziah, or Hezekiah, if you fast forward through the story of the Bible and you think of the stories of Luke, the slave physician that wrote the gospel of Luke, when you think of the stories of, of Mark, or Peter, or Paul, or Dorcas, or Tabitha, as you go through the story, think of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Joseph, the, the earthly father of Jesus. If you think of their stories, Every one of them, their faith grew in a crisis. And so what I'd like to talk to you about this morning is to understand that every single one of us, if we will allow God, our faith in God will grow, our strength and our faith will increase, and our usefulness, our love, our power, our ability to minister. I promise you, if you will just listen carefully, you're going to grow and God is going to be able to use you more than you ever have. One of the reasons that I think this is so important is because I did a scan again on Amazon this week and on christianbook.com and went to Barnes & Noble. There are so many books about faith, and the mistake that some people make is they have faith in faith, or they have faith in positive thinking. But the Bible story of faith is very different. When the disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith, he didn't talk to them about having faith in faith. But as the writer of Hebrews would say, this is the way Jesus took them. Look with me, if you would, in your outline this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. It is impossible to please God without faith. Well, that says to me right off the bat, I want to please God, don't you? I want my life to be pleasing to God. And if I'm going to please God, then I have to have faith. Let's look at this. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists. So, doesn't do you any good to pray unless, first of all, you believe there's a God who hears you and answers your prayers. 
you must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely, circle that word, sincerely seek him. And though we said goodbye to Rocky this week, and when I got the call from his wife and I went to their house that night and stood beside the body of my dear brother, we've walked together for 21 years. We've laughed together. We've gone to football games together. We've shared our faith together. Rocky was always so quick to share his faith. A former pro football player, a coach, a teacher, someone that loved Jesus and shared his faith everywhere he went. People constantly still come up to me. I shouldn't say constantly, but frequently come up to me in the community. And when they'll ask me, when they find out I'm the pastor of Woodland Church, they'll say, do you know Rocky Donahue? Can I tell you how Rocky helped me? Can I tell you how Rocky shared his faith with me? Can I tell you, some will say, can I tell you about Rocky before he met Jesus Christ? And it's amazing to hear the stories of Rocky's life. But I stood there beside him, and as we were praying and giving God thanks for his life and praying for his family, I started laughing as I started thinking about some of the funny moments we shared. I wish I could remember every joke that he ever told me. And if you know Rocky, you know what I'm talking about. I wish I could remember every funny story. And I've been asking people, if you remember any jokes Rocky told you, tell those to me. But I remember one time he called me up and he says, I'm going to take you out to the very best ribs you've ever had in your life. And we went to this restaurant and all the way riding there to the restaurant, he's telling me about how tender, fall off the bone these ribs are. And we get there, and they're the worst ribs I've ever had in my life. Rocky looks at those things, calls the waiter over, and says, I wouldn't feed these to my dog. He would bite me for giving these to him. And, you know, we've laughed about that story and over and over, but we shared so many good times. And you might say, well, why didn't God answer your prayer and let Rocky live longer? I want to tell you something. God did answer our prayer. Rocky fought a good fight. He was diagnosed with cancer a long time ago. And long after his life should have ended, Rocky was still sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. He has won his race. He has fought his fight. And he doesn't just know Jesus. He doesn't just know about Jesus. He is with Jesus Christ today. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? So he is a rewarder of those who sincerely seek him. Well, number one, let's look at this. Faith is dependent on what I know about God. Faith is dependent upon what I know about God. For my faith to grow, I have to grow in my knowledge of God. For me to even have faith, I have to know about God. So that brings a question to my mind. God has given to everyone a seed of faith. God has every, given to everyone a gift of faith. So how do we grow in that knowledge of God? Well, look at what Jesus said in John chapter 17 and verse 3. This is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. So there are three things I want you to see here this morning. Number one, God has revealed himself in creation, and God has revealed himself in the Bible. When you look around the world at you, the Bible declares that every day the heaven and earth is declaring the glory of God. It's just what absolutely boggles my mind when people say that this is all some cosmic accident that just happened. When your eye, the ability of your eye to see color and motion, 
the ability of your taste buds on your tongue to distinguish between all of the different flavors, the abilities of your hand, for you to move sideways and backwards that robots still can't do. You're a fascinating creature of God. And this whole planet, from its mountains and volcanoes to the universe on their courses, you know, it just boggles my mind that folks think that somehow or another this is an accident when everything on this planet has a design and a purpose. Dallas Willard was a professor at the Stanford University. He was a prolific author and a writer and a passionate follower of Jesus. But he took a microbiology professor at Stanford to task. The reason the story means so much to me is we had a young girl who, whose brother was a, a professor at Stanford, and her, her parents were, were also professors, and she gave her life to Jesus here at Woodland. And so I've always been fascinated because she told me some of the things about Stanford, and, and I've just been fascinated by it. But Willard took this microbiology professor to task and said, listen, the things that you're teaching your class, one, that God doesn't exist, Two, that when you die, that's it. Three, that life is nothing more than biological. He says, you have no evidence. You have no proof. Microbiology doesn't even research about God. So how can you make this statement? And yet so many people in their effort to deny that there's a God say there is no God. And people happily believe that because it relieves them of any sort of responsibility about life. If there is a God, then there is a responsibility about life. The third thing I want you to see is that God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ perfectly. If you want to know what God is like, he's not a tyrant. If you want to know what God is like, he's not a distant heavenly being that created the world, wound it up, and then set it in place and said, okay, off you go. But God is a God who loves us and is intimately involved with us. We described the Trinity just a couple of weeks ago as uh, God the Father, God without skin, God is spirit. Secondly, God the Son, God with skin, that's the doctrine of the incarnation. And then God the Holy Spirit, God inside my skin, where the Holy Spirit comes to live within us when we give our hearts to Jesus. And so when Jesus took on flesh, when God became Jesus and came and dwelled among us, he showed us what God was like, his love, his forgiveness, his power, his mercy, his grace. You know what God is like just by studying the Gospels and looking at the life of Jesus. So that's what I mean when I say that the story of our redemption, the story of our redemption is a long story because in the fullness of time, as we talk about every Christmas, God sent Jesus into this world to come and take our sins upon himself, and he prepared a way for you and I to be born again. Now, you need to hold on to that thought because that thought is so important to the rest of this message. Secondly, faith compels me then to surrender my life to Jesus. The more I learn about God, the more I know about God, then somehow or another my faith compels me. There's something I know I must surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Years ago, I met a pastor from Korea. He had given his life to Jesus, and he told the story about how he didn't know anything about the Bible. He didn't know anything about God except for the religions he had been taught in Korea. And one night, stuck in a storm, he cried out to God, to the gods that he was serving. And he had a dream. And in his dream, he dreamed about a place he could go and someone would tell him about Jesus. And so he just followed that dream. He, when he woke up from that dream, he was so convinced that it was true. 
And he did. He found a little church where somebody told him about Jesus. He was marvelously born again. And today he is the pastor of a thriving, thriving church in Korea himself. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdens. That's the burdens of life. That's the burdens of religion. That's the burdens of politics. That's the burdens of the COVID crisis. Whatever your burden is, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Now, notice it's important. You come to Jesus. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. Now, that's important because take my yoke upon you is the way of life Christ calls us to. Occasionally, people will say to me, I could never live a Christian life. Well, I say to them, I could never live the Christian life either. I couldn't live the Christian life if it wasn't for Jesus. I couldn't follow the Ten Commandments if it wasn't for Jesus. I couldn't pray the Lord's Prayer sincerely if it wasn't for Jesus. And the reason Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, is Jesus bears the weight of the responsibility of living for God upon himself. And we are in this thing together with Jesus. I can remember when Becky and I got married, one of the things that we talked about was, Whatever happens, we're going to be in this thing together. When Becky and I were dating, I remember her parents had this large home and drove this beautiful car and had a brand, another brand new car in the driveway. And, and I thought, wow, baby, you know, you've got so much and I don't have very much for us to start with at all. And, and I said, but I can promise you one thing, God will provide for our needs. And she started laughing and she began to tell me stories of faith and crisis that her family had passed through and how God always provided. And one of the things I took away from that conversation and still remember to this day, I'm grateful for Becky's Christian heritage and how Becky was raised and taught to trust God and taught to love God and taught that Jesus bears our burden. So come to me. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Now, I believe all three of those words are in bold print. Those three verbs are in bold print and they're underlined. But circle them if you would in your outline right now. Come, take, and find. They're all three verbs, action verbs, that you and I have to do. We have to come to Jesus. Say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I want to know more. Lord Jesus, I don't understand everything that being a Christian involves, but I want to know more. God, I know so little about you, but I want to know more. And Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, I'll give you rest. Then he says, take my yoke, take my teaching, take what I'm calling you to do, take this new life. And he says, I will teach you, but he's humble, he's gentle, he's not overbearing. Listen, God doesn't power up on you. Have you ever been around those people when they... You know, you, maybe you have a disagreement and somebody amps up and tries to power up on you and intimidate you. Maybe you've worked for a boss that he or she have amped up on you from time to time. Rather, some of you are smiling right now because you know what I'm talking about. Jesus never powers up on us. He is power. He doesn't have to power up. But he leads us gently. And what he says is you will find rest for your soul. You'll find rest. The third thing I want you to see here this morning is that your faith can grow phenomenally during a crisis. Your faith can grow phenomenal. I love that word. Say it with me. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Come on. Say it like you mean it. Phenomenal. I don't use that word a lot for the simple reason there aren't many things I point to that are phenomenal. But phenomenal? 
I mean, my faith can grow in phenomenal ways. That's amazing. Becky, in this COVID crisis, has discovered something she didn't know she had. Matter of fact, she's always said, I don't have a green thumb. My daddy could grow anything. Literally, my daddy could make a dead stick grow. You know, he was just that kind of a farmer. But Becky this year has discovered two things during this COVID crisis. She does have a green thumb, and she's discovered miracle grow. <laughs> she loves that miracle grow. It's on everything. And she, she loves posting pictures of the little harvest that she's bringing in from her mini farm. My only regret is that Daddy is not still alive with us to see her mini farm. But she's been serving fresh vegetables out of her garden, and that miracle grow goes on, and everything's just doing splendid but she recently planted some pumpkins, and I um, went out in the backyard, and I was like, wow, those things are growing. And I came in and said, they're growing phenomenally. I mean, they're just, I can't believe it. And I went back out the next day, and there were some more pumpkins coming up. I went out the next day. I finally came in. I said, honey, how many pumpkin seeds did you plant? She said, I planted 14. I said, darling, we're never going to be able to give away that many pumpkins, especially with the miracle grow that you're putting on there. But you see, she's discovered two things. She can grow things, and when the right application of miracle grow is put there, you can grow things too. And my point is, is during this crisis, your faith will grow. Faith doesn't grow during the sunny days of prosperity. When people are prospering, they tend to let their hearts wander away from God. When people are prospering, they tend to take time to enjoy their stuff. They tend to come up with excuses of why they can't share, why they can't give, why they can't go to church, why they can't give to the poor. Because when they're prospering, there's all of these temptations to buy more stuff for us. How many of you remember the story of the Undercover Boss or the TV series Undercover Boss? I love that story. What you may not know is, is that he is a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And years ago, he set a limit on how much money he would earn. And everything he earns above that, he gives away. And that's why the story had so much authenticity to it as they showed episode after episode because of the way he lived his life. But he didn't grow up like that. He grew up here in Michigan in hard times. He grew up here in Michigan where his dad went through very hard times with the tractor dealership that he owned and the garden supply store he owned. He grew up in times when he couldn't even afford to go get a root beer. And he grew up in times that were very, very difficult and challenging. But his mom and dad taught him the way of faith. Don't ever underestimate what God can do through your sons and daughters. Amen? Don't underestimate what God is going to do through your children and your grandchildren. And he went on to be a tremendous success and I'm telling you this morning, during crisis, you can choose to be bitter or you can choose to keep your eyes focused upon Jesus and your faith will grow phenomenally. Have you ever wondered why doctors don't panic in the emergency room? I used to work in the hospital, as you know. I used to work in mental health. And I remember one night I was called upon. I had asked to be able to do this. I wanted to observe firsthand a surgery. And as I went into the surgical unit that night in the emergency room, there was a guy who'd been in a horrible accident and had just been through severe lacerations and cuts. And it was shocking. I mean, it was shocking what I saw. And, and I got in there, and I was trying to help, and I passed out. I mean, I fainted, just was so sick, and they had to carry me out of the surgical unit. And everybody teased me for a long time about that, so don't you dare come up and tease me this morning. I'm still bitter about that. 
But anyway, I, I went through that experience. And I remember asking the surgeon, who was a friend of mine, I said, how do you guys not panic? He said, we've been through it before. He said, we, we go through it as interns. We, we've worked in trauma units. Some of us have, were in Vietnam, and we've had to go through this. We've been through it before. The reason they don't panic is because their faith and their skills and their practice of medicine grew during those traumatic times. Have you ever wondered how Captain Sully could land a plane and evacuate a plane on the Hudson River? It's because he had prepared for that time. And every crisis that you and I have been through, whether we were Christians or whether we're not Christians, God is preparing us for this season. So look at what the Bible says right now. You need to know, friends, it's in your outline, follow with me. You need to know, friends, that thanking God over and over for you is not only a pleasure, it's a must. We have to do it. Read it out loud with me. Your faith is growing phenomenally. Your love for each other is developing wonderfully. It's why it's only right that we give thanks. Wow. Do you realize, those of you that know your Bibles, you do, that the Thessalonian church was really going through a severe time of persecution. And rather than giving up on their faith, their faith in God was increasing. Becky and I have often talked about how third world Christians, how their faith has challenged our faith, how strong their faith is. And what seems to make Western people shake in their boots, they face with the kind of love and the kind of peace that we can only imagine having. Let me see if I can help you understand this. In my 41 years of being a pastor, I've only had one person who come to me in a marriage crisis who's ever said it was their fault. One person. And even that person who came to me, they were looking for an excuse to leave their young bride. And so they were using religion as an excuse to leave their young bride. And so I called their hand on it, and boy, did they get agitated about that. So in 41 years, I've never had anybody honestly come and say, it's my fault. It's always my wife's fault, or it's always my husband's fault. Every single time. It's always my fault. I mean, their fault. And you see, nobody ever wants to deal with the fact that it's my sin. No one ever wants to deal with the fact that it's my sin that causes my relationship problems. It's my sin that causes my challenges in life. Before I married Becky, I sat down and I talked with a number of pastors that I respected and I trusted. And I said, you know, what is the one characteristic I need to look for in a woman that I'm going to ask to be my wife? What is the one characteristic I, I need to find in a woman that's going to be my wife and work with me in ministry together? Because I had traveled enough by then to know that there were some real challenges in what we did. You know, besides the jokes, she needed to be pretty. She needed to be a good cook. You know, there were all kinds of things that were said like that. But once they got down and got serious, some of them would say, who's going to marry you, boy? What are you thinking about, you know? And just just got serious. Every single one of those pastors I talked to said, she has to be secure. If she's insecure, she'll never make it. If she's jealous, you'll never make it. And I have been so grateful for the years for Becky's security in Christ, her security in who she is, her absolute trust that she has given to me through the years. 
It's why I've often said to you, when we get to heaven, Becky is going to be so close to the throne, I'm going to be jumping up and down just trying to get a glimpse of her because she'll be so close to Jesus. You see, the issue is this. All of us struggle with the sin problem. The problem in our marriages or the problem in our culture or sometimes the problem with our neighbors is not the neighbor, it's us. And I'm not saying that never is it somebody else's fault, but I'm saying if we would deal with ourselves first, maybe your husband hasn't made you happy, maybe your wife hasn't made you happy, maybe your neighbor, maybe your children haven't made you happy, but listen to me, marriage will never make you happy. Politics will never make you happy. A Democrat, Republican, or independent is not going to make you happy. Happiness is decided between you and God. Come to me. Take my yoke upon me, and you will find rest for your soul. That's where you find joy and happiness. If you don't decide your happiness between you and God, you'll never be able to get along with other people. Having a child won't make your marriage better. Getting a better job won't make your marriage better. Getting a better education won't make you a better person. It may open more doors. But what makes us happy is serving the God we were created by and giving our sins to Jesus and saying, Lord, make me a brand new person in Christ. So let's follow. How does our faith grow? Faith grows as I become more like Christ. If I'm becoming more like Christ, then Jesus is becoming more precious to me. When I was a child in church, we used to sing a song called, I love him better every day. I love him better every day. And our song leader who would look like a Canadian goose taking off, you know, he would be going, I love him better every D-A-Y. I love him better every D-A-Y. So it's so much enthusiasm. But you know, that's a true song. The longer you live for Jesus, the more precious he becomes. It's the thermometer. It's the way you can measure if you're growing in Christ. It's the way you can measure that you're, you're growing in your faith is you really do love Jesus more every day. The second way is what uh, Paul wrote to those Thessalonians is you love one another more. Because the more you love each other, how can you love God if you can't love the people you can see? I mean, it's what the Bible says. How can you say you love God whom you can't see if you can't love those whom you do see? And you say, well, there are some people impossible to love, not for God and not for the passionate follower of Christ. Jesus loved even his enemies while they were nailing him to a tree. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Look at Romans 8, 29 with me. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him. Underline that. Shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. When you look at Jesus, now look at me, Ed, Keith, Corey, get this, Bill, when you look at Jesus... You're seeing what God intended for your life. Day, Barb, look at me. When you look at Jesus, John Anna, you're seeing what Jesus meant for your life. He meant for you to be full of grace and love and truth. He meant for you to be compassionate. He meant for you to live a life of power. He meant for you to be the overcomer and not the overcome. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning?
And that's why in the shape interviews that we give to people as they're growing here and trying to discover what God wants to do in their life, we say God wants to shape you according to this verse of Scripture, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, and your experiences. God wants to take all of that and use it for His glory. Secondly, we grow as we love each other more and more. Say, Pastor, how do you know that you're going to love people more and more every day? That's real easy for me to answer. It's because if the Holy Spirit lives within you, you can't help but love people more and more. It's one of the things that just impressed me about Rocky. Rocky genuinely loved people. I mean, he was great with humor. He was quick with a line. He was witty. He was talented. But he was quick with humor. He loved people. And he used that humor in such a way that it drew students to him. It drew football players to him. It drew people to him. And the reason it did is, listen, here's the secret. Because Jesus said the Holy Spirit, God in your skin, God would be your counselor and he would be your guide. You know, I've used guides hiking in the mountains. I've used guides on the river fishing. I love having a guide. Somebody knows. I've used guides, guides climbing the world's largest waterfalls. I've used guides in the desert. I've used guides in major cities. I have a friend that's a truck driver. He calls a taxi every time he goes to New York City or Washington, D.C. He has to make a delivery. And he tells the taxi where to meet him at. And the taxi driver then guides him the best way to the city with his big 18-wheeler so he can deliver what he's delivering. You have the Holy Spirit as your guide living within you who helps you understand the word. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians there. He says, your love for each other is developing wonderfully. Matthew Henry's father, when he proposed to Matthew Henry's mother, she went to her father who didn't know Matthew Henry's dad, Philip. And she says, Dad, I want to marry Mr. Henry. And her father looked at her and, you know, can tell this is back in the Puritan days. Her father looked at her and he says, sweetheart, I have no objection to Mr. Henry, but I don't know Mr. Henry. I don't know anything about Mr. Henry. I don't know where he's from. And Matthew Henry's mother said to him, said to her father, she says, father, you may not know where he's from, but I know where he's going. And friends, you know where you're going today if Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. You know where your eternal home is. And when Rocky closed his eyes Tuesday evening, he woke up in the presence of Jesus. God tells us this clearly in his word. You and I, these bodies may die, but we live eternally. And I want to be with the Lord forevermore. Don't you? Let's give him another hand of praise for that this morning. By the way, if you don't know who Matthew Henry was, he was probably one of the greatest biblical commentators that ever lived. And then let me wrap this up quickly this morning. Faith grows with our generosity. Faith grows with our generosity. People who have been blessed with much and have great faith, they're generous. People who have been blessed with much but they have little faith, they're not generous at all. And people who have little, they don't have much in this world, but they have great faith. They're generous with what they have. They're like the little woman who put in the widow's might at the temple. 
And Jesus said, looking at all the rich people as they drop their bags of money into the offering, Jesus said, this woman has given more than them all because she gave everything she had. You see, the mark of faith is our generosity towards God and our generosity towards others. The mark of faith is that we love to give. As a matter of fact, we give cheerfully. That Greek word is hilariously. We laugh. We, we just love the fact. And we discover that rather than getting poorer when we give, people with little faith, they see that giving of their time, they see that giving of their talent, they see giving of their treasure, they're going to be poorer for that. I remember I wanted a guest youth speaker one time. And I called his agent and this was way back in the early 90s, and his agent told me, he says, well, his speaking fee was so many thousands of dollars for one night, and it was big, big bucks, double digits. And, and I said, you know, I just I can't do that. And um, so I hung up the phone, and I prayed. I said, Lord, why do I feel like he's supposed to come? So I don't know how I did it. But I got his personal phone number, and I called him, and I said, you know, I would really love for you to come to speak. I've got about 1,000 kids that are going to be gathering with me, and I'd love for you to come speak to them, but I can't afford your fee. He said, you know what? I think I'm supposed to go. He said, I'm going to call my agent and tell him I'm coming for free. Now, friends, let me tell you something. Generous people are generous. Right after he was with us, he told me one of his songs wanted to be purchased by Walt Disney, but Walt Disney wanted to take every reference to Jesus out of the song and use it in one of their movies. It would have made him fabulously wealthy. And he declined. He says, you can't take Jesus out of the song. It was Jesus that gave me the song. He went on to become a platinum recording artist. I want to tell you, you give of your time, you give of your talent, you give of your treasure. You don't become poor. God blesses you with even more. And that's a mark of faith. Look at this. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and to produce a harvest of generosity in you. And then finally this morning, faith grows with zeal. I love zealousness. You know, Rocky was zealous about football. I went to a football game with him one time, and I liked to froze to death. We sat there, and Rocky had a blanket, and he goes, Pastor, you want to sit under this blanket with me? I said, no way. I'll freeze before I sit under that blanket with you. Finally, after a few minutes, Rocky took his blanket, and he gave it to me. <laughs> I said, no, I'm fine. I got up and went and found some hot chocolate. But Rocky would not leave that game. We went to the locker rooms. We met the athletes. We met the coaches. We went and ate, and, and there was a Bible study. He was so proud to show me a Bible study that the football players were going to and praying before the game. I mean, he was zealous about football, but everybody there knew that Rocky loved Jesus Christ with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love what William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said. He said, work as if everything depended upon you and pray as if everything depended upon God. In this coronavirus, my prayer is that you and I will become more zealous for the gospel of Jesus Christ, more zealous about loving people and serving people, more zealous about our faith than anything than we've ever been. James chapter 2 and verse 18 says, I will show you my faith 
by my good deeds. I haven't meant this message to be about Rocky, but you don't lose a hero to heaven without your mind going in so many places. But I could tell you good deed after good deed that demonstrated Rocky's faith. I read an article just recently by a Jewish journalist that somehow or another was befriended by a pastor in New York City. She's a non-practicing Jew. She's an atheist. But something about this pastor captivated her. He kept inviting her to church. Now listen, she told him, and she wrote in this article. I've got it right here in front of me. She says, I am opposed to everything he believes. He's opposed to things that I am ideologically committed to. And she said, it should offend me that he's worried about my soul. He's worried about where I'm going to spend eternity. She said, but if I'm honest, I'm worried about my soul too. I'm worried about my eternity. And she said, I began to go to his church. He so badly wants me to enjoy heaven with him. He says his whole jam is about, isn't that cool? I would have never thought to say it that way. His whole jam is about serving Jesus and being ready to go to heaven. I wish I could tell you that she said she crossed the line and gave her heart to Jesus. But she concluded her article like this. She said, I found myself cleaning the kitchen and putting the dinner plates into the dishwasher. And as I did, I was humming the songs we sang in church. And she said, I straightened up and suddenly realized how much I missed what they have. Friends, more than ever, more than ever, our world needs the love of Jesus Christ. Demonstrated the way that Jesus did. They don't need religion. They don't need works. They just simply need people like you and me who love Jesus Christ and love the people that he went to the cross for. Can you say amen? So would you stand with me and let me pray with you and pray for you? Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, I love you so much. I'm so grateful for everything that you have done for us. <laughs> I'm so thankful, Lord, for how you carried our sins to the cross. And as we held that little wafer this morning, Lord, I was overwhelmed. So we drank that cup to remind us of your blood that was shed for us. Jesus, it almost seems too little for me to say thank you. But I say it, thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Thank you for making me whole. And thank you for giving me life abundantly. Now I pray for all of us. Would you give us a fresh touch of your Holy Spirit? These folks love you. They wouldn't have gathered outdoors today 
if they didn't love you with all of their hearts. And so I pray in Jesus' name that you would just bless and strengthen them. And if you'll just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed for a minute, I want to talk to, to those folks watching online. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, and if you've never given your heart to Jesus, I want you to know He loves you more than you can ever dream. Jesus Christ loves you. And God has revealed Himself not only in creation, but you can know more about Him just by reading your Bible. Start with the book of John. Or start with the book of Mark. Start with the Gospels and learn about who Jesus is. And you'll discover a God that loves you so much that He came to take away, to destroy your sins. The things that not only are destroying your life, but destroy your relationships. And He came so that you could have peace with God. And you could have a brand new life. A fresh start in life. Maybe you're ready to do that this morning. Maybe some of you here this morning, you're ready. You have never crossed the line. I want you just to know that if you ask him to, God will forgive you. God will save you. God will give you a brand new start today. So I want you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. Now, if you're driving, you just pray it out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ. I certainly don't understand it all. But I know inside I am compelled to surrender my life to you. I'm compelled to come to you, Lord. I need rest for my soul. I can't do this by myself, but your word told me this morning you're in this yoke with me. And so as much as I know how, are you ready? I ask you forgive me of my sins come into my life and make me a brand new creation in Christ. For it's in your name I pray. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, I want to help you. I want to send you a gift tomorrow. All you got to do is email office at woodland.church. We have something we'd love to give you. It's called a New Believer's Bible. It's an easy to understand, lots of helps to help you understand what you just did. If you just email us here, we'll put it in the mail first thing to you tomorrow. I'd love to get to know you or maybe correspond with you. So if you don't mind, leave me your contact information, and I promise you I'll follow up with you. Now, if you'll just hold right there watching, I'm going to pray a prayer blessing over you and over everyone that is here right now, okay? So family, I want to just give you the blessing of the word of the Lord this morning. May the Lord God who loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die upon the cross, to take away your sin. May the Lord Jesus Christ, who rose again from the third day and sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of you, bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you, and make you prosperous and productive in everything you do for his glory and honor. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon.